the lovable losers who shed their curse. Today we go deep on the Chicago Cubs. Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark. And this is Gordon. And we love talking about baseball. Here we are, deep in our deep dive series now. We're almost halfway through, I think, with most of the teams. And we get to a very interesting team here with the Chicago Cubs, given... I mean, so much about their franchise, I feel like, transformed when they won that World Series in 2016. The identity of the Chicago Cubs was forever changed when they won that World Series because they're no longer the same lovable losers that they always were for all those years as soon as they won that World Series. I guess they were the lovable losers even in Chicago. Um, and, and before the podcast, we talked about, well, they're a three World Series winning team, although we'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to do the White Sox after this. Right. But, but the White Sox kind of came in and because they hadn't won since 1917 when they won in 2005. So the Cubs already were older than that, you know, right. from 1908. And then they, the, the White Sox win in 05, and now it's just them. And the Red Sox has shed their curse the year before. Right. So they were really outside. The only team that was kind of close to them was the, well, then Indians, now Guardians. But they really weren't in the same class as the Cubs. And so, I mean, they're a very interesting franchise when you look at it because they're an original MLB franchise. Right. They were actually founded in 1876 as the Chicago White Stockings, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like the White Sox, but they're not the White Sox. They're the Cubs. No. Okay. And then they've played in the Chicago, well, what was Chicago Cub Park for a while. Yeah. They're not playing in the original ballpark obviously that they started playing in back in the uh, you know late 19th century but they the they did move into uh, what is called Wrigley Field today it was called Wiegman Park because the guy's name was Wiegman um, and Wrigley Field wasn't called Wrigley Field because they built a minor league park in Los Angeles mm-hmm. called Wrigley Field and that's where they had all the minor league teams play there and so they eventually decided uh, to change the name in Chicago from Cubs Park to Wrigley Field in 1926 this being the 97th anniversary of that as we record here today and obviously with Wrigley Field I think which is really one of the most if not the most iconic thing about that you have been there I have been there it is a beautiful place to watch a ball game and then you have the obviously the their most famous part of that is the ivy backdrop on the scent of the outfield wall, which was commissioned by Bill Veck, right? Right, right. And you don't even think of him associated with the Cubs that much, but that's like exactly right. The and case. that's obviously a big part of that because so much I think if you really think about the Cubs, not necessarily the park itself, because I think the the Red Sox fans would certainly beg to differ if we said that the Wrigley Field is the most iconic ballpark. It is older than Fenway. But in terms of core to the identity of the team, yeah. Wrigley Field and the view from home plate looking out into the city over the Ivy, I think, is so much a part of the Chicago Cub identity in playing there and playing your games in that stadium means so much that I think that it's it's tied to the team in a way where I think you almost can never move that team. If that team isn't playing in Wrigley Field, it will not feel like the Cubs. I completely agree. And your sister lived around the corner from Wrigley mm-hmm. Field for a number of years, and she went to some games, being a baseball fan uh, to some degree, and I remember her saying that she would go to some apartments nearby, and you can actually see into the park from some of these apartments, and that's a sort of a unique thing about Wrigley Field. I don't know any other ballpark that's like that. Right, and, and I think with, with the... Sh- Cubs getting into this, getting into them and their history. This is definitely one of the deep dives. It's a little bit 
more fun to get into just because you've got so much more time to play with. They are an original team to the league. They have so much time. They stretch back into what, you know, into funny baseball time where you've got a bunch of guys that are in the Hall of Fame when they hit 12 home runs, one of which we will be talking about today. That wasn't even during funny baseball. Right now. But 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 you've got guys back from just they were playing when I mean, the Cubs have a bunch of championships, and I think some of them are from the 70s. And by that, we mean the 1870s. Well, they actually they didn't uh, win anything until the 1907 World Series and they won in 08 but they made the World Series a bunch of times even um, I mean they won the pennant a bunch of times when oh. they didn't have a World Series so in in baseball reference it says they've got 17 pennants and as we know three World Series I'm, so I'm counting I'm trying to figure out all the World Series that the Cubs were in that's how they were so they were they lost in in uh, 1906 the year before to the White mm-hmm. Sox they lost in 1910 1918 to the Red Sox 1929 to the A's 1932 to the Yankees 1935 to the Tigers, 1938 to the Yankees, and 1945 again to the Tigers. So they lost all those things. But I'm adding them up. Well, there's that's not enough. That's not 17. That's not 17. So I had to go back and look at. It. And so they list in baseball reference, like in the eight in the very early days, they were the first place team, but there was no World Series. Right. They won the pennant. So they won, but there just wasn't some. But kind there was of, nobody to play because there was no other league really to play. So right. They, they just they kind of. won technically. And and what's what's also really you know, surprising to me is a they have a winning record all time, mm-hmm. and so we think of the Cubs as sort of like, well, they had all those years of futility, um, but you think about all those World Series that I was just saying that they lost even through the 30s, and then nothing right. for a long time. That's what we remember. Right, right. That's what I remember as a, as, a, as a baseball fan. But if they were in the World Series, so the thing is, is, it's much more likely to have a team that's from that earlier era of baseball to have a positive win-loss record, despite not having a lot of World Series, because one, you played during the time of the Yankees, so they just kind of took up a lot of those. <laughs> But secondly, you could be finishing above 500 and doing well every year and not having a lot of playoff and pennant titles to show for it because only one team got that. So, you know, you could have had an amazing season, got 95 wins, except up oh, another team got 96. You're, in you're out. You're out. Didn't matter. Try again next season. So yeah, the um, you know they they had one of their incarnations the as the White Stockings when they started they had a six forty seven winning percentage mm-hmm. so they made the conscious decision to change the name mm-hmm. okay which okay you win sixty five percent of your games why would you change the name they became the Colts um, the Chicago Colts nobody knows about them that was be- still before nineteen hundred and then finally they are called the Chicago Orphans. Um, oh, wow, that's, a, end, that's easily the worst name of the bunch. At the end of, until 1901, so just for four years, and then, and, and here's the thing. From and then the, they abandoned that name. Right, and so they were kind of called the Cubs, but they weren't officially called the Cubs until 1904, even though they were kind of called the Cubs, so they're just called Chicago for four years. They don't have a nickname. <laughs> Chicago. We're going to go look play baseball Chicago. reference, you can find this, just says Chicago. Yeah, we don't really know what they were called, because they had a lot of names. Um, so I, I, yeah, there was another Different people name, called too. them different things. Right, exactly. Kind of like they their called names, the infants, kind of like their namesake. You know, those orphans had a lot of names. They were called the infants and the remnants. Uh, that, that's just sad. <laughs> before, before officially becoming the Cubs in 1907 was the official year they became the Cubs. Even though here in baseball reference they say it's 1904 for the Cubs. So, and and the thing the thing about that, so they got a winning record, uh, have a great start to the franchise. We talk about the World Series, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about the early um, 1900s World Series. But they don't have as many all-time players, and we'll get to that, that as right. you think they would right. have. Right, like we were talking about that, and just if we start going around, we start naming like the most famous they have a lot players, but, but they really only have one at a lot of the positions, and then at some of them, it's kind of like, oh, there, there's not a, any. Like, I mean, the greatest Cub pitcher of all time. 
Who who would I say? Yeah, who would you say? Uh, I would probably – well, only because I did a lot of research for this. And so there were two guys I kind of have as a tie mm-hmm. when we talk about that. I have Ferguson Jenkins, who when I was a kid, he was the dominant pitcher on the Cubs in 1969 when they were battling the Mets mm-hmm. uh, for the, pennant, uh, the, the, the division that year. And he had a great career with the Cubs and, and, and after the Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, and three-finger Brown – uh, Mordecai Brown. That's a baseball name. That's a baseball name. Mordecai Brown. He lost his finger in in an accident as a kid. Two and part of one finger and almost the entire other finger. So he had unusual spin on his ball. And if you ever look up his his Hall of Fame stats, this guy was fantastic. Right. And I think that's kind of what's interesting if you look at the p- pitcher position because there's a bunch of guys I can think of that have had unbelievable seasons. For the Cubs as pitchers, Kerry Wood had an unbelievable season. Mark Pryor had unbelievable seasons. You had uh, Justin Steele, and you had yeah. had an unbelievable season this year. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think Kerry Wood had the twenty strikeout game. Obviously, I think he went. He got injured, and he came back as a closer one year, and he closed for them. I think that <laughs> was really cool. He probably had more years with the Cubs than we think. That were pretty good years, but he wasn't the phenom. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was just recently. He was a Cy Young candidate a couple of years ago, and he had that unbelievable second half. That Arietta, yes, uh, Jake Arietta. You had Arietta. Wasn't there that long, right? But like, I'm not saying that they they were there that long. But they've had a a, a series of years where they've had unbelievable performances from a pitcher. But I can't think of any like Hendricks is probably the guy I can think that's pitched the best for them over the largest number of seasons because I can't really think of any other pitcher in my lifetime that's been there with them You'd like be that. Right, because just before you your lifetime would be the two Ricks. Rick Rick Russell mm-hmm. before that who you if you look at his all-time stats you think wow this guy was like a borderline like you know I didn't even think he was close to being a Hall of Famer and then he is when you start like wow mm-hmm. he was way better and Rick Sutcliffe right. who also pitched a lot of years for the Dodgers um, but he, he was a, a very very good pitcher for the Cubs as well so I mean it's interesting because then you move over to first base with first base and it gets hard because it depends if you want to cheat because you could say, well, technically Ernie Banks played like half his career at first base. You could consider him a first baseman and just put him over there. And then it's easy because, I mean, it's Ernie Banks. It's it's except that you got to have a shortstop. Right. And the shortstop is it not might all be that robust right, right. Either. At least with first base, we have Mark Grace, who, you know... I think it's. I so, love that player. I, I, <laughs> but isn't he sort of the definition of Hall of Very Good? Absolutely. He's, he, he's, he had a 303 career batting average at a time where it meant more as a first baseman who didn't have big power stats. So he, he was a contact hitter at first base at right, a time he, where he, he got enough home runs. Good, really good defender. Right. He would have been a player that was more celebrated today. Right, right. He had the misfortune of playing defense at the same time Keith Hernandez did. Right. Uh, so that that could uh, and Will Clark was a very good fielding first baseman and good first baseman at the same time. So there were contemporaries of, of him. But yeah, Grace over and and so I think you have to compare the Cubs in terms of eras a little bit because I threw in Anthony Rizzo's name because I think Cub fans would probably say he's like an all-time Cub first baseman. Probably it, just based on number of years. Right, right, right. And we went to the game. You went to the game uh, together with me uh, and the family, and he hit two home runs against the Mets. He did. Right over our heads in the right field stands, actually. <laughs> so um, anyway um, – the early Cubs from the when they went to the World Series in 1906 mm-hmm. and 07 and 08, right? Mordecai Brown. So there's your pitcher, your primary pitcher. And then you had the Tinkers to Evers, Evers to, to Chance, Chance thing. And, okay. Ch- and that was who Chance? So Ch- Frank Chance. Frank Chance. First baseman. And so he would be the guy I probably would say – 
because he played so long ago, it's really hard to say, well, he's the best first baseman the Cubs ever right. had. It's really hard to do. And especially, but he probably is. Right, cause especially because it's a guy, you're, you're not only saying this about a guy that basically nobody has ever seen play that's alive today, but we don't even have video. Like we, like we don't even have like a straight clip no. of him. Nothing. No, no, that's it. That's and and so the, the Tinkers to Evers the chance. This is a double play combination. So uh, there Joe was a Tinker, poem written about right, them, right. right? Joe Tinker was the shortstop. Johnny Evers is the sh- second baseman, and Frank Chance is the first baseman. And uh, poet Franklin Pierce Adams wrote these words: Tinkers to Evers to Chance, trio of bear cubs and fleeter than birds. Tinkers and Evers and Chance, ruthlessly pricking our gonfalon bubble, making a giant hit into a double. Words that are heavy with nothing but trouble. Tinkers to Evers to Chance. And this was told about anybody who's a, like an older baseball fan, like you've heard these and things a million mm-hmm. times. And what I didn't realize when I did a little bit more research is all three of them are Hall of Famers. Right, which is impressive. And, and that's really early, right? So that's the, the early part of the uh, of the century. And when guys' stats like didn't really stat up to be in the Hall of Fame because Johnny Evers, I thought I had this. I thought I had it. So he had 12 career home runs. Ooh. I said he has to be, has to be, the position player with, with the fewest amount of career home runs. Who could hit less than who, twelve? Who, who hit less? Ray Shalk. Ray Shalk. He had eleven. Ooh. Catcher, Hall of Fame catcher. Um, I guess those are the, the po- White Sox. I guess those are the positions where you'd expect it to happen at short and at catcher. But um, yeah, I, I, and so Evers uh, also was known as um, just a miscreant, just a really unhappy person. Uh, the human crab was how uh, right, he was But he, he has an to. unbelievable defensive war. He is like 15th all-time in defensive war. Um, like 15, 16 runs a game or something like that. Runs for his career. And so we were talking about that before this going, so exactly how do you think they evaluated D-War back in 1906? You know, they didn't have any video replay. That- well, I think what it is is I think they use war based off of like one particular year, like that they do have it for. So it's like like you're you're completing off of the model of like whatever like a nineteen X player, nineteen oh six player, nineteen oh seven player would have right, and that and so so like they they don't really have like his range factor, right? How do you have that? Like <laughs> right, like so it's like I can understand like offensive stuff because you can derive that from the statistics, pretty much. But how do you derive that from the statistics? There isn't defensive statistics from back then, other than putouts. So, so it makes when you evaluate the all-time Cubs really hard, really hard because these guys are among the greatest Cubs ever to play, and they played before any of us ever had right. a chance so to could, do anything but hear about. Right? Them. Theoretically, those three should be the lead at all of their positions because they were all Hall of Famers, and nobody else on this, none of the other guys that are at their positions could boast that, except for Ernie Banks. Yeah, Ernie. Well, Ernie Banks is a spe- special guy. But again, his his big thing was he never got to play in in a game that meant anything in the postseason in right. his entire he career. He suffered his whole That's career like, like, as twenty two years for the Cubs and never got to the playoffs. Right. Ouch. And part of the reason why he's so beloved there. Right. Right. So from so from nineteen forty five until nineteen eighty four, I think when the Cubs lost the National League Championship series mm-hmm. to. The no, they lost to the Padres. They lost to the Padres. The Padres won the World Series in '84, but the Cubs were very good in '84. Um, that's a long time. That's almost 40 years without, without even making eat, a winning, winning a pennant. That's brutal. So that's what I remember growing up as a kid. And then that 1969 year, I can name every player on the '69 Cubs mm-hmm. because they were way ahead of the Mets, and the Mets had had the famous comeback. But I was very aware of the team because of that, because they were the hated rival and the Black Cat. The they were the thing, they right? were the ones that were. 
you know, obviously. So I got to see Ron top. Santo play. So so Ron Santo would be the third baseman. He's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at his his stats and you think, yeah, that's a. I guess a that's Hall a Hall of Fame. Fame career, right? You know, and all that. Now, he was beloved, obviously, by Cub fans for his – he was a commentator there for years, uh, you know, and people loved the way he talked and then his whole love for the Cubs and, you know, really you know, really good guy overall and mm-hmm. whatnot. So, um, but, I mean, you start looking at the other third baseman in Cubs history. It gets hard. I, you know, so I've been following this Stan Hack who was a – Great Cub played during the just at the end of their 30s run of being kind of World Series teams that lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has that for him. And then I had to go really deep to come up with Aramis Ramirez. Oh, wow. Yeah. And who I, had a much better career than you thought, but it ain't nothing like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, feel like you can't, I, I feel like you can't be putting him anywhere close to the same level as a Hall of Fame player or even a Hall of Very Good player. He's just like a solid player. I don't know. If you look at his his war, I think his career war is between 25 and 30 or something yeah. like that. Which, you know, it was more than I thought. It's a good player. Right, right. He was, he was a really good player for a long time there. So that was difficult when it came to third base. Um, and, and, and I don't um, think that Cap Anson belongs on any of these lists because we don't like Cap Anson very much. So he is the all of... Time Hall of Famer, leader war for the Cubs. So let's give him the acknowledgement. He was right. a player manager for the Cubs. But uh, his personal life and actions and uh, yeah. personality leave a lot to be desired. And Frank Chance actually was the player manager for the Cubs when they won their World Series so in 1907. they had a lot of player managers. Yes. Yeah. And that was kind of the way that it was. Well, it was much Certainly more common back, back during, then. During, during at the beginning. Probably trying to save a salary if you're the owner True. or anything like that. You and know. then, I mean, then you go to the outfield, and I think you have two pretty obvious choices in Sammy Sosa, who steroids and all, yes, but he was still a, a all-time One of the cub. great Cub outfielders of and all I think, time. I think, you know, you have to talk about Andre Dawson, who wants to be in the Hall of Fame as a Cub. And, and he only played six seasons there, so... He only he, played six for Montreal, though. No, he played more for Montreal. Yeah, yeah, Montreal. he played more for Montreal. Okay, I, was even. I, always, I always think of him as an expo over a Cub, but he... So the whole thing with him going to the Cubs, and, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, he was very upset, was Dawson, and then he's trying to get his cap switched from the right. expos which the major league made him go in as an expo now, i don't want to be an expo i've decided i think about it i want to be a cub because they embraced him in a way that so the expos wouldn't pay him and they were kind of grinding him down they made him take a pay cut even when he had a good year and so he was so unhappy with that when he finally became a free agent he he got together with the cubs and and, and the cubs said you write in whatever salary you would like to be paid to play for us and so and Dawson did something pretty cool. I, he, he wrote in $500,000, so like, which was not a stupid salary at the time. It, okay, was, not, yeah. it was not ridiculous. Uh, and he won the MVP in 1987, hit 49 home runs, and had one of the great Cub batting seasons of all time. And then he got like a four-year deal or $2 million a year for a few years. So he got paid, so to speak, on the backside of it. And because of that, he loved the Cubs, and the Cubs love him. Yeah. So, so I think that's why he wants to... To do that and we can get into a whole nother episode on like caps and how many guys are going in with nothing on their cap now because the MLB is finally getting smarter about not forcing guys to go you know what we think you were an expo and we're you gonna can, put, make it you wear a cap well, I don't want to go as an expo I'm sorry you have to go in that way and wear that cap when you like yeah it's, it's so silly to do stuff like that so Andre Dawson you know I think I would put up there I I don't I, I think I would probably slide uh hack Wilson who also only played six seasons right, but, but in there. It, it says something that were a lot of the guys we're pulling for this list are guys that played in like 1900. 1930 in Tyler right, Wilson's but, case. But still, that are before 1940. 
we're pulling all these guys to play all-time Cubs, which says a lot about what this Cubs team right. had right. since that time period. Right, right. I had to look up Riggs Stevenson, which is a name that I've heard, uh, and I actually – Really good career. Look at his career. Mm-hmm. Way, way better career. He, because he played there longer, I would probably rate him over Dawson only because he actually was a Cub He was longer. a more impactful Cub. But if you ask average Cub fans about Rick Stevenson, I wonder how how deep they go. And that's that's an interesting thing, right? Because we're Met fans, right? So it's pretty easy for the Mets. They've only been around 60 years. Right. You don't have to go back to 1910 to go, right. who the heck played and third I, base for the Mets in 1910? A guy that I never watch and never will watch. <laughs> right, right. And who is this guy? You know, And why is he one of the great guys of all time? So you have to kind of do your research and do that. Um, let's see. Uh, other outfielder that I had at number one was Billy Williams, a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. um, that you didn't get to see, obviously, play. He was on the 69 Cubs, and, and he played for them a lot of years before that. He's got 475 career home runs. That's pretty good. He's got 1,400, 1,500 RBIs, batted nearly 300 for his career. Um, so, you know, again, an all-time great player that because the Cubs never won anything, right. people forget. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, them winning in 2016 – I think in some ways has been both a good thing. It's been almost entirely a good thing, but there's a little bit of a bad thing in a way. I know what you mean. In that like their identity has been sort of right. <laughs> their identity. Now that they've won that world series, they haven't like the Red Sox won that world series and then won more. So now they were able to be reborn as a good team and fans, young fans and fans today, they look at the Red Sox as a good team. It's only the fans that are like your age and older that look at the Red Sox as a team that isn't a successful good team. Anybody that's my age has only ever seen the Red Sox win, whereas the Cubs, well, they got that one World Series in 2016. They got the, they got out from the curse, but I mean that was it. Well, and, and how about this? So we talked about the guys on the on – the, uh, early 1900s team, you know, mm-hmm. the, three, the, the three infielders and the pitcher. So if you had to say, like, so who gets the legacy from being on the Cubs' other World Series winning team in 2016? Like, okay, is it who's who's the Cubs, the everlasting Cubs that come out of that? Is it Ben Zobrist? Is it Chris Bryant? Is it Chris Bryant? The, the problem is that they only had the one, and, and, and a lot of those guys aren't with the Cubs even anymore. Right, it's going to be Kyle Hendricks just because he's the guy that's he's still there. Yeah, right. I, 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 so I think that's that makes it difficult you know, to look at that team because you, you want to kind of canonize some of the guys from the World Series winning team, but they don't really have those guys. No, and, and I think that's part of the reason why that team isn't as talked about. I mean, we thought we were looking at what was going to be a dynasty and then they just kind of fell apart and they had finished last in 2014 that's the amazing thing right they finished last in 2014 they somehow got a wild card in 15 and the mets beat them in the playoffs and then they they win the world series and and, and in an an epic world series i think you and i feel that's like if not the best world world series of all time yeah absolutely you know one of the best world series of all time um so relief pitcher um, so the first thing that came to my mind, and, and I don't know if you you know Bruce Suter, and I was like, okay, so he pitched more for the Cardinals or the Cubs, and it was more for the Cardinals than he did the Cubs. So then I went to a guy that I hate to put number one of all time, who's in the Hall of Fame, who was uh, he's a, in the Hall of Fame, and he also pitched for the Cardinals actually for a lot of years, uh, and the Cubs, Lee Smith, um, as your number one. You know, and why do you hate to put him? In? <sighs> Because I think Lee Smith still kind of suffers from he was a compiler. He, his, but he's in. He's in, and he got a ton of saves. A, I can't punish a guy for being a compiler if he's in the Hall of Fame. And and he was a feared closer for years for a team that didn't win everything. And that's the problem. He never got to the playoffs right. in the World Series so very much. Or the World Playoffs fault, very much. You can't fault the guys that played for the Cub teams those years that they happened to play for the Cubs. 
you know, I can't punish the team for being bad, being like, oh, well, you never pitched on a big stage. It's like, I can't blame the player for that. No, no. And I think that, you know, he, you know, he's got the cred. He did it mostly for the uh, Cubs. Especially because I can't blame the player for that if I'm also going to romanticize staying with the same team for your whole career. And since I like that aspect I of do. it, I can't criticize the other side of it. So um, I looked at the manager and because Frank Chance won two World Series, he wins. Right. <laughs> um, Charlie Grimm was another great Cub manager through the 30s, a guy you probably never heard never of. Never heard of. But he, they won three pennants under him. And then Joe Madden has to be on there because he won because a World Series. Because they won a World Series, but he would be third in my, uh, you know, right. in, in my pantheon of, of Cub guys. So I, I think the, um, you know, the, the fact that you had like 100 years between World Series makes that period in between for the Cubs really hard to evaluate because there was a lot of those years, like we said, of nothing. And, and so that fans kind of, if you're, if you're a fan who's my age, you think, well, yeah, they're the lovable losers, at least in your lifetime. Right. You know, they won a World Series, you know, when you were but fairly I, young. I, that is what's really interesting about both of the Chicago teams, really, is that, I mean, the White Sox won in 05, the Cubs won in 16, and then neither of them have had any success, really, since their World Series title wins. And so what are those team identities now? The Cubs are trying to put together a run. I mean, right now, I think they're one of the leading candidates to go get Shohei Otani. They got great counsel. Now, if they go do that, they get Otani, they get counsel, then they're clearly trying to push after what was almost a playoff campaign this year. They're clearly then trying to push and make a playoff campaign next year, though I still worry that with what pitching... Well, they got Justin Steele, as you said. Right, but that's... that's, Uh, And then they've got other guys. They've got other guys, so, but... They, they're a team that's trying to push back in, but neither them nor the White Sox. I mean, what is what would you say the story of those two teams are over the last 20 years? I, 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 oh, well, the last 20 years. Well, because the Cubs won a World Series, I, I right. think the Cubs are much better positioned. And we'll talk about the White Sox in our, mm-hmm. next, our next deep dive. They're in a much better place, even though the White Sox just a couple of years ago probably were in a better position than right. the Cubs. I so, think it's interesting. But I, though I think with the Cubs... I mean, they're hoping that 2024 could be their year. They're probably thinking that we're ready to make a run. Yeah, I, I would think if I look at that division now, um, if I'm the Cubs, I'm it's thinking wide. it's the Reds and the Cubs, I think, that are at the top. That are um, ready to make a move. I think so, yeah. I think they're going to battle for the division this year. And, uh, and you know, the Cubs are probably going to make a lot of moves. They spent all this money on uh, council. on council. And other, they're, I think they're, they're all in. Not, not to go all I, in. I think, and, and I, and I kind of hope. I hope they go, in, go yeah, all in. And, It'll and be go, more fun. As long as they don't get Yamamoto because I want him for the Mets. Me too. And I'd like to thank the listeners for listening to us and talking to us because we always forget to do that. So, you know, thank you guys because we forget and we really do appreciate it. We do. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Follow us on Twitter at Almost Hoover.